fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, an old-school stick fight with the police. How long until the Terminators finally show up? The word plethora makes an appearance. Danielle's sensitive side revealed by the sadness of Disney movies. Dusty Secrets for one. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Jezebel. Idolaters, scattering ashes, and the hateful lies of Myrtle Poor Bear. You could say we have a plethora of fun topics. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. You ready? Oh, yeah. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 115 of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Straight across from the table from me is Mr. Daniele Bolelli. Hello. Hello, hello. Summer has arrived. Actually, by the time we release this, summer is in full swing. By the time we are recording this, summer has just started. But here we go. Let's start with a usual big thank you to the people who keep us in business. We got, well, you guys for listening. We appreciate that. That's sweet. And of course, we got Datsusara on it and Shore Design. Um, so that I don't waste a ton of time telling you this, that, and the other, please do me a favor. Just once in your life, if you haven't done it, check out their respective websites. All the links are in the episode notes at thedrunkentaoist.com. There are discounts included in those links, so you may want to do that in case you decide to buy something. Just skim through their website, see if there's anything you like. Uh, Short Design has some amazing t-shirts. The pants, have, they have so much good stuff. Um, Datsusara with some amazingly good hemp gear. Rich and I are huge fans and we use it every single day. And of course, on it with the... Is that a word? Plethora? Plethora. Plethora. I love that word. I, just, I learned that word from uh, the Three Amigos. Nice. Would you say I have a plethora of piñatas? Yes, El Grande Guapo, you have a plethora. You don't know what that word means, do you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I was a little tentative about it as well. Never but again. It turns out, apply to own it, it fits because they have so much stuff out there. Uh, check, it, check it out again. I won't bug you right now at the up front. We get to the episode quicker. Just please check it decide if there's anything you can get that can benefit your life we will be happy yeah you'll get lost on that on its site and it's oh and, and it.com precisely there's so much great stuff so get yourself some buffalo bars if nothing else most definitely let's also give a quick couple of shout outs uh we had uh, mentioned it last time mama licha's kitchen i'll put a link in the episode note lefer guerrero from mama licha's kitchen which is a mexican restaurant in that's the san very, fernando that's my valley very next stop 
Beautiful. I want a full report next. I'll, I'll, I'll add the report to the outro. Awesome. And uh, and then, you know, for those of you guys who are not in LA and don't have a chance to go check out the restaurant, if you can, please click like to their Facebook page. I'll put the link in the episode notes. And also a big thank you to Alpha Dynamics, where these guys, they are just, you know, their website is probably just going to be operational by the time this hits, uh, this is released. Um, they are basically packaging medicinal mushrooms in a couple of different blends designed for different purposes sort of traditional chinese tonics uh, energy boosters that kind of stuff and no not any of the good psychedelic ones uh nothing not for this purpose no magic no magic mushroom but definitely the other kinds of mushroom the very much for energy and uh, mental clarity and all the good stuff there i'll put a link in the episode notes in case you guys are interested is alphidynamicshealth.com they give uh, you know money back guarantee if you don't like their stuff and all of the other good stuff so having said all that let's get to our episode Brothers and sisters, raise your hands to the air. It's time for another Bible lesson from Father Bellelli's deep well of biblical scholarship. Today we have a tale that we'll entitle My God Can Kick Your God's Ass and a related tale called Jezebel. Is that how you pronounce that name? Jezebel. Jezebel gets eaten by dogs. So on that happy note... Wow, where to start? Both of those seem awesome. Yeah, let's start with... Basically, what happens is um, ancient Judaism went through a period with a, a unified monarchy where they had uh, the three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, ruling over a united Jewish people. That doesn't last very long because, as it always happened in the history of Judaism, internal fights start kicking in. So after Solomon, the Jewish kingdom split and was no longer united. It was now divided in two nations. There was Israel and Judah. Was that due to Russian hacking? Yeah, exactly. That's what happened. And uh, each one had its own king. So you had two Jewish kings, two separate Jewish kingdoms. That's where it's at. Um, the king of Israel, one of the, the new kings of Israel, I think by now we're talking about roughly 2,800 years ago, 2,900 years ago, something like that. He was openly not a big fan of monotheism. So he encouraged the worship of other gods within the temple. And his son, named Ahab, had married a Phoenician priestess who clearly was not, you know, she was not Jewish. She came, you know, worshipping her own gods and the whole thing. This was the Jezebel we are referring to a few minutes ago. Was going to have an interesting meeting with dogs soon enough. But so... They have this interracial, intercultural couple. Uh, she comes in with her own religion. She was uh, a priestess of the god Baal, uh, who is not 
referred to in very kind terms within the biblical scholarship. Let's put it that way. Well, whose propaganda are you reading? You know, if of you get course. the ball stuff, it's like, hey, yeah, come yeah on of over. course, it's a party over here. And the, the story goes that the alliance is bringing peace and prosperity to Israel. Things are going well, but it enrages the prophets who wanted strict monotheism. The, the fan of strict monotheism are not too happy with the way things are panning out at this point. So once Ahab becomes king after his father dies and he becomes king, then Jezebel, has free, as the queen, she has free reign to do what she wants. So she brings in a lot of priests of the god Baal, of the female god Asherah, all sort of stuff that raises the blood pressure level of the hardcore monotheist in the Jewish population quite a bit. So this is like when the Catholics roll into a very Southern Baptist town. Yeah, along those lines. Got some new things for y'all to check out. Think you'll like it. Yeah, more even like some... I don't even... Like Catholics and the Southern Baptist is almost friendlier than this. This is as bad as it gets. And we see, we see it happen real quick. So one of the prophets... <laughs> Our friends Elijah warned Ahab that disaster would befall the kingdom because of the idolatry. Idolatry? Isn't that the idolatry? boldest prediction in the world. No, but now he <laughs> takes it a step up. So a few years later, Elijah challenges the priests of Baal and Asherah to a my God is stronger than your God kind of meeting. He proposes a context. He's like, let's meet up on top of these mountains. We'll build two altars, one for Baal, and one for the one true God. And then we'll have one ox a sacrifice on each altar. Okay, let's start with that. Now, Elijah said... <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I mean, all early Judaism yeah. was all animal <laughs> sacrifice, left and right. You know, the, Elijah challenges Baal's priests to pray to their God so that he may strike a fire to light the sacrifice on the altar. Okay, it's like, okay, you have a dead ox over there, now set it on fire without you starting a fire. You have to pray to Baal, and Baal needs to make it happen. Let's see what he can do. That'd be pretty good evidence. And absolutely, I think I like it. I like it a lot. And, you know, the priests of Baal, they start praying, dancing, doing this, doing that. Baal is otherwise occupied at this point. And it always just when you need him the most. So no luck. On the other hand, at least according to the people who write the Jewish scripture, who are clearly on Elijah's side, but in any case, according to the tale, Elijah, on the other hand, prays and immediately the offering catches on fire and uh, off it goes, clearly what proving. The fire thing. I'm yeah. wondering all of a sudden. Yeah. They had some cats up there with some pyrotechnics, and, for right. sure. Right, underneath, going. The, yeah. The, at this point, Elijah, so far so good, right? This is just a friendly contest to show whose God is the real deal. I actually like it. He's almost scientific in its well, approach. Very similar to your idea of uh, the three guys that are having the dispute. Put them in a little exactly. field, sell the pay-per-view tickets, and let's see what happens. I'm all for it, right? Elijah, however, gets a little carried away with his idea because now that he won the contest, he orders his followers who are all pumped up to just go out and kill 450 of the priests of Baal who are attending the event. So this is one of those uh, come over to the event and if you lose, you'll die kind of event. Um, like a Mayan soccer game or a basketball game. Right. It's, uh, yeah, things, they don't stop at a friendly contest here. Now, some time goes by, uh, Ahab eventually dies and uh, Elijah's successor 
Elisha, or similar name. He's the same dude that we had last time, a bald-headed guy who was... Uh, the Attacked kids make fun of him, so he sent the bears to kill them all, right? <laughs> so Elisha in, in start encouraging a Jewish warrior to go out and kill Jezebel and their sons. He's like, we cannot have this pagan queen... She's uh, polytheistic, she witch, she needs to go. And her whole bloodline needs to go. And killed all of, all of her priests. Yeah. She's been hanging out. There has been a civil war dies. going on, exactly. There's been civil war, and now toward the tail end of the civil war, they're like, we need to get rid of her. Now, is Jezebel, is that a noun? Is like she is a Jezebel? Yeah, is... that's her name. Oh, that's, that's, uh, no, no, that's her, it's proper yeah, name. That's her that's actual, actual proper, name. yeah. So... The hardcore Jewish monotheistic people go kill all their sons, and then they go after Jezebel, who um, basically, I think the technical term is, I can't think of the technical term. In any case, to put it bluntly, they just grab her and throw her off a window. Um, defenestrated, I believe. is the Pitch aside. Yeah. Pitch your ass out the window and you so, splatter her. Exactly. And then her dead body will be eaten by dogs at this point. Oh. That's pretty Game of Thrones. Yeah, that is very Game of Thrones. And of course, the the guy who started this and killed Jezebel will become the new king and start a program of massacres against the supporters of Baal, which includes the beheading of the remaining 70 sons of Ahab, who apparently had a, lots of concubines that the kids left and right. They all need to go because they are the children of an evil... Somebody wasn't paying attention. Because it would have been time to go when they started chasing mom. Yeah, I think she wasn't that your was... mom. I mean, uh... <laughs> yeah, the message was pretty clear. In any case, isn't that a charming tale? That clearly shows that the god love, of love, love forgiveness. Need... Yeah, right. That's damn. That's quite a story. So um... I've been watching Handmaid's Tale, so I'm so scared of all this stuff right now. What is that about? I haven't. It's, uh, you know. Two years down the road, America, where Congress has been wiped out in some sort of attack and regional religious authorities take control. Mm. And these people are immediately like, all right, women are property. And oh, at the same time, there's a, a massive um, fertility problem. So it's set in kind of a futuristic scenario? Oh, yeah. Ah, check that out. And it's kind of brilliantly done because there was a movie they did that's just sort of like, her living through the moment and not sort of watching how it went down. Uh -huh. it's slowly but surely chipped away till all of a sudden people are getting chipped away or shipped away. And uh, when they have protests that turn into riots, they don't even mess around anymore. They start mowing people down. So and it's kind of a hard, uh, like anti-religious fundamentalism kind of thing. It's the, yeah. Oh yeah. It's showing how far it goes. I mean, there's even a point, there's a great scene in the second episode where mm -hmm. they're deconstructing the cathedrals because mm. even the, the Catholics are not. Oh yeah. They are clearly, they got to, of course, they need to go as well. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So in the darkest part of it, the handmaid's tale is these women, if you're fertile and you're property of the state, you're handed out to the aristocracy. Of course. All those women are infertile yeah. to be there daddy's baby mamas so that these crazy bitches can have children is there any theory for why they are infertile no <laughs> some been random. on this planet lately right <laughs> it's just a matter of time just uh pollution nastiness certainly, certainly pollution. that kind of idea yeah. okay got and it so if you happen to have the capacity to bring a baby to full term then you're handed out amongst the uh royalty sounds lovely it's insane yep and 
when you think of a certain vice president and the possibility of he and some oh, yeah. of his fellow religious fundamentalists. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like because you know when you look at corruption, Democrats are really corrupt. The Republicans are really corrupt. But when you look at the religious fundamentalist angle, good God, the stuff that Republicans get in their midst is just nasty. Literally, a, a member of the House of Representatives two days ago saying the world's 6,000 years I old. I saw that. Wisconsin guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was brilliant. And he ain't alone. No, 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 no. Far from it. So these guys are, especially for me, coming from a place where, because the reality is in most of Western Europe, people are nominally, whatever the hell they are, like in Italy, they are nominally Catholic, but nobody really gives a fuck. They're not going to fight you over it. Yeah. I mean, no, maybe I exaggerate. Not nobody. There are people who do, but not at a mass level, not that much. Right. Like, I remember being really freaked out when I came to U.S. and I started seeing all the religious bumper stickers on people's cars or stuff. I was, I was like, admiring her, Jesus Fist. As a, every time I see it, it makes me smile. Which one? Her sci-fi ray gun in the shape of a Jesus Fish. It's genius. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's probably the third time. I went, just, like, a whole percentage of me goes, oh, there is hope. <laughs> And what's and I, I don't think this is political. This is just more like societal right mm-hmm. now. This dude cutting these guys up on that train that were protecting those little Muslim girls. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Whoa, yep. What line are we over now? Yep. And that's fun. You know, that's Portland, mm-hmm. and everybody thinks Portland's like, hey man, what's up, man? But Oregon no black weird. people were allowed to. Yeah, no, you told me. It's a weird mix of really super kind of happy hippie kind of stuff and real. It's, it's strange. It gets really bizarre. But don't you think that sort of fundamentalism is just as evil as the guy blowing himself up amongst little children? Oh yeah, I mean, to they're me, the same level me, of evil. Yeah, fundamentalism is fundamentalism. It's just uh, the cultural context shapes it to either be somewhat neutered, where you know the average American fundamentalist is just. Uh, Bitching at their kids, making their kids miserable, and you know, being generally Turn somewhat off that music. exactly being somewhat hateful, and but you know, yeah. usually is not gonna strap uh, bombs to themselves and blow things up. But again, that's because the cultural context shape it in that direction. These are the same people who would do it if they are dropped in a different cultural context, and they did do it in a different cultural. So context. you think that person, if they dropped into Afghanistan oh. instead of the United States, they were going to be that crazy. Yeah, they way. would be the Taliban. They would be the same. It's just... Because the responses are the, the same buttons are being pressed. Like, Absolutely. Oh, it's me. just the degree of intensity as being because United States being United States, what it is today on a cultural level, yeah. has deflated a lot of the more rabid aspect of the fundamentalism so that, again, they can be nasty, they can be annoying, they can be... But they are not ISIS. You know what I mean? The mentality is the same. Yeah. But the degree to which they are willing to take it is different. And they're emboldened now, too. So that really makes things yep. interesting. Yep, yep, yep. So one last tiny little thing that I literally just heard. I had a lot of driving in the past few days. So I had lots of podcasts. But I heard someone mention the thing with Ari Shafir. Mm-hmm. It says when they talk about the 72 virgins as your reward, 72 is actually sort of just like a colloquialism that means a shit, a shit ton. Or, of course. Sure. So it's just funny that... Here, everyone's like, 72, what are you talking That's just silly. But in actuality, when you're like, if you want a sort of a number for a shitload, yeah, 72. Yeah. It's kind of like, of say, yeah, after a while you lose count anyway. Exactly. It's like, who, yeah, it doesn't got? even 72. matter. Yeah. So I thought that was just pretty funny, like a simple misunderstanding yeah, yeah, yeah. that just shows that we're a lot closer than we think we are. Oh, yeah, funny stuff. But So that was a shitload of stories right there. Yeah. Maybe get- almost 72. 
getting eaten by dogs is the way i'm actually doing a history on fire recording right now where we, we feature the spanish war dogs that were these giant massive dogs covered in armor Armored, and trained yeah. to eat human flesh so that takes it to a whole other level but in any case on that note let's wrap the bible and jump into something else Alright, we continue the Subdivide and Conquer episode with some rants. Let's rant away. I was just thinking, Iran got attacked by suicide bombers and such. Of course. Because the Shiites. Nobody seemed to be so bad here, but if, if the Shiites and the Sunnis ever decided to be friends. Yeah, that would be interesting. It'd be trouble for a lot of people, but it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen because I think it's 900 years in the making. Yeah, those guys don't like each other a whole lot. That is safe to say, indeed. And quick, before we get to that, it's just a note I saw, you know, yesterday in my travels with my NPR going, mm -hmm. um, the Kurds look like they're going to try to get separate status in Iraq. Mm -hmm. But there's a big chunk of them in Turkey as well. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> That's the kind of shit that could go out of control in a hurricane. Am I just being silly with that one? Well, that then seems... again, if the Kurds had a state in Iraq, you know, you divide Iraq in three. Which... Yeah, but it was just a big, pfft, yeah. here you go, you guys. They, they, there has to be land there that was there pre yeah, to have uh, having a Turkish homeland in a, in Iraq could lead to more trouble with Turkey, but could also instead lead to the opposite of the fact that some of the Kurds uh, in Turkey decide, ah, at least there's a Turkish homeland. And now in we're Iraq, not going to fight anymore. And we'll exactly. Be done with this. Yeah, can, that's possible too. Could be. I but, don't know. I just look at it's danger in every corner now, especially with a less stable. Um, yeah. You know, there's no State Department. There's, no, there's huge. I'm thinking about applying. Maybe you I should. could be, you know, the 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 attaché to Kadekistan or something. You should do that. Why not? I'm just trying, people. Speaking of which, let's jump into some Muslim-related rants. Um, first off, I'm just gonna go off with this one. This is not a rant at all. This is actually kind of cool. I ran into this group. You need to check them out. They are called Voice of. I have no idea how to pronounce the next name. It's Voice of Baseprot. I'm guessing B-A-C-E-P-R-O-T, voice of Baseprot, maybe. It's a group of three Indonesian teenage girls uh, wearing hijab and the whole, you know, they are Muslims, and they play super heavy metal. <laughs> There's a cover of theirs where they are doing a Rage Against the Machine song. It's so badass. These girls play so well. They just literally shred the whole thing. It's hilarious. It's hilarious to look at. You know, I'll. Uh, you should just. You no, guys should I just Google the. Chunk of the... Music will start right about now.
really interesting to look at because you see them and you see, oh, look at that. Three Muslim girls wearing the head covering the whole thing. Rocking as hard as anybody. Rocking it as hard as anybody. And so it's both a, it's an interesting thing because on one hand they are electric guitars against the fundamentalism. They are also against electric guitars against the anti-Muslim phobia of picturing that they are all the same. It's a weird, trippy thing that kind of blows your mind to see. So it's um, definitely worth checking out. Well, it's just that sort of exposure just has to happen to make everything finally relax, I think. I mean, my wife was watching the the British Bake Off or something. Mm -hmm. And in England, it was like a real kind of Irish-looking guy, a guy from India for sure, and then a Muslim girl who probably was like half Indian. Mm Mm-hmm. And those were the final three contestants. Yep. That really is the picture of, in, of of England right now. Yeah, and I think there is a real messy question with that, right? Regarding um, multicultural society, and not just multicultural, and multi-religious society, where you can look at it from multiple directions. Because the issue is clearly there is a real issue when you have exclusive religions, you know, religions that basically say that all loyalty goes to the one God who lays down how you are supposed to live. So in that kind of setup, it's very hard to have separation of religion and politics. You know, the whole idea of separation of church and state doesn't really work if you truly believe that God told you how to live in every aspect of your life, because then the state should run accordingly. You know, that's how the next step is. The logical step is... Why should we allow people to make wrong decisions that go against God? Why shouldn't we uphold God's law on everybody? That clearly is religious totalitarianism, right? But this whole situation is due to their imperial leanings of the previous centuries. You know, that's how you get here. Yeah, and part of it that's messy about that is that, so what do you do in terms of the... As usual, you have the, something we have hammered on multiple times, the stupidity of, of multiple flavors. You know, you have the stupidity of the left, that is, there is no problem whatsoever with Islamic theology. It's all a religion of peace, and it's all great and wonderful. And That's yeah, not, not quite, no. not at all. And, and the problem is that in doing this, they completely not take seriously the real threat represented by Islamic fundamentalism. By the same token, right-wing stupidity will decide that all they see is is, um, Islamic fundamentalism. They will not, and in the process of painting all Muslims equally bad, they treat them the same as all fundamentalists, they don't realize that the allies you need are precisely those most moderate Muslims. They are precisely the kind of Muslims that these ladies are, you know, playing Rage Against the Machine and rocking it. They are the ones you need to deflate. Because otherwise, if you start putting different Muslims who don't like each other to begin with, you start putting them in the same group, then soon enough, you're going you're gonna to push them into joining with each other if you are attacking all of them the same. Yeah. And that's really not what you want to do, to have a united Islamic front across the board of Muslims of all flavors. You do want to have... That sounds as scary as the moral majority in the United States. Right? You do want the more mellow interpretation of Islam to prevail, and you want to work with those against the extremist bullshit that you do want to take seriously. Because that's the problem, you know. It's like there's... um, It's not an easy thing, because, again, how, how do you integrate a worldview that argues that 
just one right way to live. We all should follow it. It's laid out here. It's God law, and everybody who doesn't follow it is an evil unbeliever. That's well, you can believe that when you're in your home territory, right? <laughs> but exactly, that's not the way it works. You know, it goes against the very idea of a democracy, right? It goes against the very idea of individual rights. It goes against the very idea of the stuff that we value, that we like. Well, and the level of nastiness that goes on with you know blowing little girls up at a concert and and things like that. Even folks that think they can coexist, mm-hmm. you push them the wrong way, and they're going to make a different decision. Permanent. I think that's what the goal is, right? To get everybody so riled up that fuck it, let's just let's fight, let's do it. Yeah, it's what else could it be? Yeah, it is a very. Tra- it's also I think there's a human stupidity element where we tend to push things the majority into black it. and white, and we do tend to. You know, now you want me to think about what kind of Muslim I'm dealing with, whether it's the sweet and nice or the one who's going to place a bomb. And Too much work. Are you kidding me? Can we just say all Muslims are filling the blanks? All good and sweet or all evil and mean. It's like that, as usual, goes back to intellectual laziness. You know, it goes back to that degree of uh, lacking the ability to look at things with a nuance, with nuanced eyes. Well, and it's labeling as well, you know? Completely. All Jews are rats, all Hutsis are, are cockroaches, all Democrats aren't people. Well, and because the thing with that is you need... Uh, humans crave simplicity, which is a good thing, but then, of course, in the process, oversimplicity, you know, yeah. oversimplifying reality rather than breaking it down to manageable units. So then you start creating stereotypes because you feel that you are simplifying it so that you can tackle it without having to struggle too hard. But of course you screw it up in the process because you start um, taking things that are not so simple and making them what they aren't and making them into... And that's why you end up with the stereotypes. That's how you end up with uh, all Muslims are the same. They are only... And again, you're using the Muslim example. You can apply it to everything else. Even, you know, when people... And we all have the tendency to do this stuff, by the way. I'm not just blaming it on those other stupid people out there. Because, you know, when uh, during the election, regardless, like when people were all like, all the liberals are these or all the conservatives are these, it's like, no, it's more complicated than that. Way more. And sometimes I can fall for that as well. You know, I can be in the, oh, those guys kind of thing. And the reality is that those guys is usually... There's a lot more variety within the group than one would initially think. You know, there are very different reasons why people become of one religion or another or support a political party or another. Or They are not all built with one mold. And the problem is that when we start thinking that they are all come from the same mold, we really screw things up. And we we stop relating to people as human beings with their complexity that you can play with. There may be something you have in common with them and you start just considering them like they are the orcs they are the bad guys why because they are bad guys there's nothing left to explain you know it's like they are Sauron's army that's it you know we don't need to I don't need the character development of an orc I don't need the motivations to find out why they think the way they do they're orcs that's what they do you know it's funny I was thinking Saruman Sauron when you're talking about Isaiah Isaiah oh yeah right same (laughs) kind of shake it up a little bit yeah so Here we are. It's a real Gordian knot we got going on this planet right now. It is. And, yeah, I think... And then when you have, you know, outside actors that are happy to to shake things up, just like you're talking about who is firing the shots on the the reservation. Mm -hmm. 
agent provocateurs that just want to see it all catch on fire. And about the whole terrorism thing, don't get me wrong, it's not that I don't understand the fact that Western interventions have spurred because you know, of course, every time you go bomb and you kill twenty when you, when you other kill a people, of people well, with your drone, you yeah, got three generations of enemies you just created. Exactly, which is why sometimes the hard line, the let's go in and bomb them, sound satisfying because it's like, yeah, you want to take this seriously, and some pe- these people need to be wiped out. The problem is. In doing that, in not distinguishing which people, in not making it individual, it's not making it that one guy who's about to plant a bomb need to have his head blown out, but that other person who's just a random Muslim from across the street does not. Suddenly you increase the number of people who are going to be more likely to fall for terrorism than decreasing it. So that's rarely the solution either. I've been saying for a long time we should just drop whiskey and porn. Right? Or exactly. It's like Rage rage Against the Machine, right? That's the one. I, I hope they're doing killing in the name of is that what they're covering no they uh, did guerrilla radio oh, that's and cool uh, it's awesome because you see this whole indonesian <laughs> crowd just having this mosh pit and just going crazy on it and loving it it's it's awesome you know that was um i can't remember some i think he was a sitcom actor i can't remember exactly who he was i'll figure it out but um right after the ariana grande bombing mm-hmm. he was like talk about just taking people out of the knees what greater experience is there to be 12 or 14 years old at the first concert that you picked that your people are there and it's 18,000 people all singing along with you? There aren't many better moments than that. Think about that too for a second because I guess that was completely my thought. You went in there with the... You know, I do get that there's backlash for bad Western foreign policy. Yeah. But at the same time, look at some of the difference there. You know, there have been a ton of people killed during American and British intervention in modern years in Muslim countries, no doubt. A ton of collateral damage, quote unquote. Yeah. At the same time, there are two different kind of levels of evil here because on one end there is the will bomb you and oh we are aiming for that guy sorry that we wiped out your whole family it's clearly not cool by any stretch of the imagination but it's a bit different from how killing can I civilians hurt, how can I hurt them the worst? exactly i'm not just oops i happen to kill civilians sorry about that it's I'm aiming for civilians. I'm aiming to go to a place where 14-year-old girls are. I'm aiming to just cause the maximum damage in that context. That's a degree of evil that's taking it one notch up. It's one notch darker for sure, isn't it? Actually, probably even more than one notch. You know, this is just... And a lot of the stuff that went on, you know, believe me, I am no supporter of the Iraq war at all. Mm -hmm. We sold a bill of goods. But the guys that went in there to do the job that they were told to do... It didn't get super crazy till the Golden Dome got blown up. Mm-hmm. That's when shit went haywire. And that had nothing to do with anybody. It was an opportunity to the guys in Iraq to say, all right, here we go. We can finally get this turned up a notch yep. on their end. Yep, yep, yep. God, it's all such a mess, man. It is. and But again, it, it, it is different when you, oh, I killed a bunch of kids, sorry about that, versus I'm aiming to, like, you know, the Ariana Grande thing, you're not aiming for, there is no precedent they are trying to hit and you end up taking out a hundred people along with him. Yeah, these little girls and their you moms are, did a lot of damage. Exactly. So they need to be taught a lesson. Right? It's like, 
there's a degree of evil there that's really something on a whole other kind of game. It sort of reminds me in some way the, um, when you see the average death row inmate who's going to kill you just because you have something you want, they want from you. But, you know, you meet them in a different context, they'll have a beer with you. They are not... They are cavemen who are there for profit and will kill you for profit, much like a lot of Western foreign policy has been. You know, you have something we want, we'll kill you to get it. But hey, if Just we... Exactly, there's that... Now, that's not good by any stretch. It's horrible. But it's very different from the Richard Ramirez kind of story, somebody who gets off on in creating pain, who's... Ta- Pain is not a byproduct of what they want to get. Pain is what they want to get. It's yeah, the it's the whole. It so that's why, that's why on that that end, I do find the left to be stupid when they downplay the seriousness of uh, uh, hateful ideologies and their consequences. So, it's as usual one of those cases where you need to be tiptoeing around this you cannot fall into these. Uh, they feel satisfying, but they are really stupid. This extreme position where it's like. All those guys are good, bad, whatever you want to say. Anything that starts with all of them are, you yeah. already screwed up. A good Taoist approach is a more nuanced one. It's one that's going to look case by case. And, you know, this kind of Christian is good. This kind of Christian is really bad. This kind of Muslim is horrible. This kind of Muslim I can live with. These, you know, you need that ability to discern and separate, not to treat everything as one big blob of the same stuff. We're at one of those moments again, though, where they're either going to tighten the screws down and there'll be cameras everywhere. I mean, but England, they already got cameras everywhere. Right. They're already at that point. Mm-hmm. And still, when it's this one cat that's been thinking about this for, you know, yep. seven years. And when he goes, the only way you're going to know is because his grandma turned up dead two hours before he went, you know. You know, one of, those guys, like uh, one of those guys stopped in Italy at one point, was going toward Turkey. And during uh, when they asked him, oh, what are you going to do in the country? He, in Italian, he replied saying, uh, I'm here to uh, be a terrorist. Because and then he said, "No, no, I, I meant tourist." Because terrorist and tourist like they rhyme with one another in Italian. And uh, and if I, they were like, "Yeah, I don't think we're letting you go to Turkey," but then of course he just went out another way and got. I'm here to learn to make pasta. Yeah, it's ugh, weird stuff. That's our rant for the day. <laughs> Brought to you by Wonder Woman. Alrighty. It's time for the Isabella moment, ladies and gentlemen. And now, Mr. Bolelli. Let's go play. Um, other than this one just came to mind. I wasn't planning on mentioning. But the other day, Isabella was wanted to add some lyrics to um, the masterpiece created by Sir Mix-a-Lot. I like Big I like butts. Big Butts and I cannot lie. That one. No other brother can deny. Sir Mix-a-Lot is playing the Canyon Club in like two months. And I may just have to go. And I was wondering, if you are Sir Mix-a-Lot, there's a couple other, you know, minor hits along the way. 
But I think if you're doing his show, yeah, you just go for be, that one song. Yeah, it's got to be like third or fourth. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. so everybody doesn't leave immediately. Of course, and probably as an encore. Yeah, another yeah, super double butt sized dose. Of course, that's funny. <laughs> How he can manage to get that as a gig going for decades? It's it's anybody though, from Foreigner to Foghat to you know Blue Oyster. Yeah. Anybody who had any sort of popularity in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, they are in that Canyon Club putting a show on. Sticks was there the other night. Of course. Like, like two members from the original band doing too much time on their hands when they look like they've used up every I'm bit sure. of the time on their hands. Poor guys. Anyway, Sir Mixlot, as you can tell, I'm listening. So, yeah, Isabella was adding new lyrics, so that was pretty fun. <laughs> but um, on a different note, I this is more about me than Isabella, I guess, because... This was the joys of jujitsu because I've been watching a lot of cartoons with his where we'll sit there, cuddle up and watch cartoons. And unfailingly I get teary eyed watching Disney. It's like it can oh, be Pixar will do it too. Yeah, all of them. It's just Obama's gonna be dead in the first twelve minutes or somebody. That have you ever seen Up? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, you got to see that yeah. one. This uh, little old man and oh, his yeah, wife, I've... dead. It's not a spoiler because in the first seven right. minutes, just to set you up, dead. Off it goes, right. Holy shit. Yeah, I tend to, I mean, I have a tendency, you know, I cry if I watch a good commercial pretty much, you know, it's like it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I find even stuff that as I'm watching, I'm thinking, my God, this is so stupid. I'm still crying. You know what I mean? I get teary eyed for everything. <laughs> so, you know, after that with Isabella getting on the mats and choking out muscular, heavy, tattooed guys is just absolutely the best way to recover at least a semblance of masculinity. So, yeah, I don't know what's up with me. I swear, every single thing gets me teary-eyed. My little pony gets me. It's like everything, you know, you literally, I think if I watch, uh, it's a pathology, really. It's bizarre. Do you think it's 50 in the, in the you know, three exits ahead mode? Do you think that's a part of it? You get more? No. I, I think there's more sentimentality I've always than been. I was when I was 20. No, I've always been. Really? I always like, oh my God, this is so... I'm just a sensitive little freak. That's just where it's at. And so that's why I have to do. No wonder I have all the Conan the Barbarian posters, go train jujitsu. It's just a way to pretend that... It's all a beard, I huh? don't. Yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all well, a beard. Well, you don't need that beard. You can be yourself. It's okay. We'll accept you the way you are, because we're not the mean people that... Speaking of which... Oh, bullies. We just, right before we started, we just see a picture of Chris O'Dell from Datsusara in, a, in, an, in an outfit that was perfect if he was auditioning for the village people. That was glorious, but... I, looked like, I thought he looked like a, a superhero sidekick. He was yeah. very sporty. And... I mean, he's not intentional, you know, he's playing I... with it. He's, he was, <laughs> there was a degree of consciousness in it. It was still fun. It was really fun. But in any case... Uh, we go in a blast from the past with another Isabella moment. This was long time ago. Probably she was three or four or something like that. And shortly after waking up, as she was telling her grandma about her dreams, she said, we need to kill the monsters and drink their blood in order to get their strength. Um, so Isabella the Barbarian strikes again. That's, um, she could have been channeling something from a past life there. Yeah, drinking blood to get their strength. That's uh That's old school. Yeah, that's uh not completely old school though. Did you see like the, the, the guy in Liberia, the general in Liberia oh, yeah. that was 
pretty much the same old tricks not so long ago. I can't remember where I saw that. Yeah, I, I think uh, her version of Wonder Woman would be a little bloodier than uh, than the one that's in know. theaters Wonder, now. Wonder Woman's got some good lessons for us all, you know. She she believes in us, even when we lose track of ourselves. And Wonder Woman, incidentally, we were just mentioning right before we started, it was directed by the wife of one of our guests, um, good old Sam Sheridan, was with us actually twice, right? He was yeah. twice on the Drunken Taoist. That's his wife who directed Wonder Woman, so... I'm guessing that things are not going too bad in the Sheridan household there. I can imagine there's some scripts coming by right now. Yep, good stuff. So, good for them. No, good for them for sure. And it was it was pretty darn well done. It's impressive. Awesome. It's story time. It is. It's, uh, today is kind of like a modern history lesson. Ooh. We have uh, the tale of uh, the case of Leonard Peltier. Leonard Peltier, for those of you who don't know, was, uh, is an American Indian movement activist who was, uh, has been serving time in jail for... He was convicted for the murder of two FBI agents in the mid-1970s on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. The story is messy because depending on who you listen to, you know, the pro-FBI guys will tell you that Peltier is a murderer, he's guilty, he's doing his time. And that's the time he has been doing because since late 1970s, so that's like... 30-something years. Yeah, almost 40. That's a long time in jail. But the tale goes that, of course, if you listen to the other side, Peltier was just completely railroaded. His case was a joke and he was just, uh, he's a political prisoner. Let's go explore both sides and see a little bit what's going on with this tale. In some way, the whole shootout on Pine Ridge makes zero sense unless we put it in context with what was going on in the 1970s. What happened was, in 1968, tired of the very slow gains that um, the previous generations have been making in terms of politics for American Indian, in terms of political rights, a younger, more urban crowd decided to create this organization called the American Indian Movement. And the American Indian Movement were basically modeled after the Black Panther Party. They had a more confrontational politics, direct action kind of thing. In 1972, for example, members of the American Indian Movement participated in this demonstration called the Trail of Broken Treaties, where they went to Washington, D.C., and while they were there, they decided to go into the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is the government bureaucracy dealing with Native people, walk in, kick out all the employees, and physically took over the building. The police came to kick them out. They got into this giant stick fight with the police, kept the police out. And this is 1972, not far from the White House. Last thing that Nixon wanted was the police going in shooting some of these guys, and it's only over. So I can't think of another time I heard the word stick fight. Yeah, exactly, with the police. You know, yeah. normally now it's like, pull Bang, the gun. Stop exactly. or I'll shoot. Yeah, politically speaking, in 1972, it was not considered a good idea to shoot a bunch of American Indian activists. So after five days of this takeover of government property, 
Then again, it's different too, because you have, like, look at the, the case in Oregon. It was, uh, these guys were heavily armed. So that's somehow suddenly the police tend to be a little more hesitant about pulling the trigger when other, the other side has guns too. And the American Indian movement, because they modeled themselves on the Black Panthers, that's what they did. I wonder, what, were, the, I wonder what the employees thought that day, because I can imagine the previous many years in a row were pretty nondescript yeah those were Maybe an angry guy went and i want my gold back you bastards yeah but... this is an exciting day yeah. <laughs> Jesus. and they were successful because basically the government told them look we cannot negotiate with you while you are holding Hold government them. property yeah. but here is the deal we give you we want this to go away so we will review your demands once you leave and we announce formally right now that we will not charge anybody for any of the legal stuff you may have done in the last five days. That's a pretty good deal. That's an excellent deal. So they took it, <laughs> off they went. The government did keep its word about not charging anybody. Not so much. I mean, I guess they kept its word about reviewing the demands. They were like, okay, we reviewed your demands. We disagree. Bye. You know? yeah. The demands were essentially, you signed a ton of treaties with American Indian tribes and you broke, broke most them of them. Yeah. How about you live up to some of them? In 1973, the American Indian Movement occupied Wounded Knee, which was the site of the 1890 massacre, the last major massacre pit in the U.S. Army against an American Indian tribe. It basically was the one that kind of, the nail in the grave to the Indian Wars. You know, the Indian Wars in the 1800s really end with Wounded Knee. That's the last. So symbolically speaking, it was a big deal. Yeah. So American Indian Movement members took that over for a couple of reasons. And this is where it gets a little closer to the Peltier story. On one hand, we still had the broken treaties issue. But on the other hand, what was going on specifically on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota? And what happened there was that there was a guy by the name of Dick Wilson who had uh, taken over the tribal government there. He was a Lakota guy, but the Lakota were split in two different groups. You had a more traditional side that was uh, friendlier toward the American Indian movement. And you had a more assimilated side willing to do business with the U.S. government that were represented the more mixed blood, assimilated, uh, less attached to traditional culture kind of group. A lot of uh, groups splitting into half this week. Yeah. And these guys did not get along very well. Dick Wilson, however, took it a few steps up because he basically started running Pine Ridge like a dictatorship. He, um, he hired what, with sense of humor, he referred to them as the goons. That was the acronym of the Guardians of the Oglala Nation, Oglala being the subgroup of the Lakota where Pine Ridge is at. But, you know, more than one meaning to that because the goons were literally goons in the sense of uh, they were hired guns. They were mercenaries. They were paid by the tribal government to go after their political opponent, either beating the hell out of them, scaring them, or flat out murdering them because that also happened quite a bit. So part of the occupation of Wundanee was also to draw attention to the fact that all of this was happening with the blessing of the U.S. government, since the goons were receiving weapons and training from the U.S. You know, Wilson was running Pine Ridge like a dictatorship, and the U.S. seemingly had no problem with it and was kind of letting it go. So the American Indian movement was saying, hey, look at this stuff as well. And that's what the, occup the occupation of Wounded Knee was like the biggest event in modern American Indian activism. Lasted for 71 days, made national news, was all over the news every day. 
you had uh, the FBI came in. There were about 300 members of the American Indian Movement who took over Wounded Knee, which really there's not much there. There's a church, there's a... A hill. Yeah, you know, the, the mass burial ground from 1890, not a whole lot. The FBI came in to surround them. The army was deployed to surround them. The, the goons were around there. There was... Wow, and, what would have happened if the army had, you know, 90 years later, one more massacre for old time's sake? Well, and it got sketchy because they would shoot at each other on a fairly regular basis from their respective positions. It was funny, too, when they would make peace for a while and have a truce, some of the goons would pretend to be American Indian Movement member and shoot on the FBI to try to start it again. It was Are agent provocateurs the lowest of course. form? That's how you do it, right? That's a classic. Like the, Stirred up, <laughs> and eventually the American Indian Movement, when they were offered the same deal, you know, leave uh, now with no prosecution, they realized that maybe it was a good idea because we've been shooting at cops. They were also starting to push the media, back. and the only reason why they weren't getting killed because cameras were rolling, right? Because you don't do it when the cameras are rolling, but when the cameras were getting pushed further and further back. The American Indian Movement said, yeah, maybe not. So they got out. This time the government did not keep their word, and they did prosecute a bunch of people for what was going on. But basically, to get close to our story, to the Peltier story, the context is one of civil war on Pine Ridge Reservation. You have Dick Wilson and these guys versus uh, the more traditionalist aligned with the American Indian Movement. And... <clears throat> Pretty heavy cycle of violence, mostly on Wilson's side, but it's not that AIM was hostile to taking up guns and doing... So it is in this context in which clearly the FBI is on Wilson's side. The FBI here is not a neutral party investigating things. The FBI is actively on Wilson's side. How many, guys, how many people have been killed at this point? Um, it's estimated that during this time there were about 60 murders on Pine Ridge. 6-0. 6-0, yeah. So it they was were sure. unexplained. And depending on who you listen to, the reasons are different. But yeah, no, it was a heavy contest. There was, a, in the documentary, there was a Robert Redford documentary um, called The Incident at Oglala that breaks down the whole Leonard Peltier story. There's a lady there who flat out says, you know, the climate was such that if you saw a car coming up your driveway and they didn't flash their lights in a certain way, as like the prearranged sign, then you would expect there were people coming to kill you. Wow. It was that violent, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty heavy kind of context. And why is the FBI supporting Wilson? Because Wilson is, it really boils down to money as usual, right? It's like Wilson is willing to do business with U.S. government. Uh, the American Indian Movement and the traditionalists are not. Specifically, there was a ton of uranium on Pine Ridge Reservation ah, that so Wilson that, will gladly gladly sell, whereas the American Indian Movement side is all like the land is sacred, blah blah blah. Right. So, the um, so that's why you have these internal fights in which the U.S. take a side, which when you think about it, is kind of the same thing that happened internationally. You know, when around the same time when the U.S. supported the coup in Chile, getting rid of the Allende government and replacing it with a dictatorship like Augusto Pinochet in power. Thanks, it was man. because Pinochet, it's not that, you know, we hate democracy and love dictatorship. It's just... Uh, These guys it, are easy to deal with. Yeah, if, if democracy give us the business we want, then we love democracy. 
But if democracy doesn't give us the business we want and they make a different kind of choice, then screw democracy. We want a dictatorship anytime. So that's why. So in that sense, it fits with what was happening at international level as well. This was different because it happened to within the boundaries of the United States. I haven't even heard whispers of today that like Afghanistan's deal was all the very rare earth elements that are available there. Generally speaking, when you follow the money, you're rarely wrong. So there are clearly strong possibilities there, right? So long story short, what happens is that on one there's a group of American Indian Movement members who kind of set up camp on the property of this one guy. And the FBI comes in with unmarked cars. Two FBI agents come flying in, chasing another car what turned in there. And here, of course, the story gets messy because the two FBI agents got shot, so we don't get to hear their version of the story. But basically, a shootout begins between the one truck that was going inside the um, American Indian Movement compound and the two is FBI that who, that's agents. Who they were chasing? Yes. Okay. The tale is that the FBI, what they will say is that they were not there for the American Indian Movement, they were there for a guy who had nothing to do with this, was a guy who was accused of having stolen some cowboy boots and that the local tribal police were out looking for him. And the FBI decided to help out. Because, you know, when you have 60 unsolved murders, of course, you, it's you a good idea to... Boot mystery. Yes, that's more important. <laughs> so, story goes that they thought he was this Jimmy Eagle guy. That's not who he was in the truck. But the people in the truck and the FBI get into a gunfight... And at that point, all the American Indian Movement member in the camp comes in, get into a gunfight with the FBI agents, and eventually the two FBI agents are gunned down and killed. Uh, one American Indian Movement member will also be killed. The, um, all hell breaks loose, inevitably. When you have two dead FBI agents, things tend to get out of hand rather quickly. Somehow, all the members of the American Indian Movement in camp manage to slip through the net and escape. So off they go on a run. They capture two of them, um, Bob Robido and Dino Butler. So these guys end up on trial in Iowa for the murder of the FBI agents. Peltier was supposed to also be tried with them, but because he had fled to Canada, they can't. So Robido and Butler end up on trial. The trial is an interesting one because the judge decides to allow evidence regarding the political context on Pine Ridge. The rationale being, this is not an isolated shootout. This is part of an ongoing civil war that's going on. So you cannot, it's kind of like treating uh, somebody shooting somebody else in Vietnam and considering it a murder case. It's like, yeah, well, it's part of a little bit of a bigger story. Yeah. So the judge allows that, and that pretty much swayed the jury big time by our, with the idea that this was a self-defense case, that these guys were, they saw these two cars that they didn't know flying in in this highly violent context with a history of violence between the FBI and the goons on one side versus the American Indian movement. So and There could be any evidence of whose gun did the, the killing either. Could exactly. There? So it gets really messy, you know. So they are found not guilty. As you may imagine, the FBI doesn't take that very well. No. And now they only have one guy left to pin it on, and that's Peltier. <clears throat> I thought so, you were going to say Comey. Yeah, there's that guy too. The, um, 
Peltier, they are going to pull every stop to get him. So one of them is to, to have him extradited from Canada. It's not an easy process. No, they're eventually, not happy to do it. You know, eventually Peltier is caught in Canada, but to have him extradited, you have to really show some heavy evidence. And what they do is that since they don't have anything that pins him directly as the trigger man, they get some lady who had some serious mental problems on Pine Ridge Reservation to <clears throat> write an affidavit where she said that she was the girlfriend of Leonard Peltier, she was there with him, and she saw him shoot the agents. Now, the lady, two days earlier, she had, wrote an she had written an affidavit saying, when they interrogated her, saying, I wasn't there, I don't know a thing about it. Two days later, suddenly she has this memory that she's actually the girlfriend of Leonard Peltier, and she saw it happen and go down. Sometimes you forget when you think about it for a little bit. It's like, oh, that's right. Peltier, I did see him shoot those guys. That was kind of fucked up. Peltier, in fact, the story is funny because when his lawyers come to tell him, hey, I have bad news. Uh, your girlfriend is testifying against you. He's like, my girlfriend? My girlfriend wasn't there. Who are we talking about? Yeah, Myrtle Poor Bear. Myrtle Poor Bear? I don't know who the hell that is. <laughs> you know, I have no idea what we're talking about. Now, <laughs> the affidavit is obviously such a joke that the they are not going to use it for a trial because it's going to be taken apart in no time, yeah. right? The only way it's used by the FBI is to convince or at least give an excuse to the Canadian justice system to turn over Peltier to the U.S., then that piece of evidence is not going to be used against Peltier at the trial because there is no evidence. It's obvious that once you look at it for two minutes, the whole thing was a joke, but it's what gets you to have him in your hands. Well, I, I suppose if his girlfriend seen he did it, eh? Uh... Right. We got to hand them over to you. So, that's, so that'll be what that's all about. That's what happens. The trial, it really is in the hands of the judge. Because what happens is that the judge uh, rules out all the evidence about the political contest on Pine Ridge. It's just about that day and the shootout and nothing else. There's no... The different judge? The, yeah, different judge, North Dakota. And uh, oh. <clears throat> the new judge was, uh, yeah, actually the same judge was supposed to try the same case, but the case was somehow transferred ship over to a... Ship back home. Yeah. <clears throat> the FBI went judge shopping, basically, and just figured a guy that would be a lot friendlier. <sighs> Pick that one. They, Peltier went, and, you know, all the good evidence that was allowed in the first trial is not allowed in the second. So surprise, surprise, the jury convicts. Same way as the... You know, the judge obviously is not the one who decides guilt or innocence, but based on what they do or do not allow as evidence, that does shape, which is why the Iowa jury found them not guilty and this jury will found them guilty. There are some shady things about the, the whole trial, you know, more than really? the ones we mentioned already. <laughs> There's like, for example, they will argue, the FBI will argue that Peltier was in that truck that the FBI was following in. He's the one with the boots. And he's the one who shot the FBI agents at close range. Now, in order to make the case, they have to argue that what was uh, Peltier had a, red, uh, had a red truck. What the FBI agents stated they were following was a red and white van. So they figure, eh, track, van. People are always confused. More or that. less the same thing. Red and white, red, close enough. You know, so there's that is one of the arguments. Well, if he shot him out of the truck, then why'd everybody else come running out and shoot too? Yeah, there's also the, um, the ballistic, you know, Peltier had an AR-15. Wow. And he, yeah, no, those guys were, they were in a civil war. So they were pretty heavily armed. Peltier had an AR-15, and um, 
they the FBI stated that there was no possible way to the most conclusive ballistic test to determine whether that was the gun who shot or not that test could not be done because the R15 was too badly damaged so they went to a much less conclusive test and there was a match say so, yeah that was the gun problem is that that was a lie because as you will be found out later they did do the more precise test and that came out negative that there was no match so you know at least at the very least that means that the gun that Peltier was said to have was not the one that was used to shoot the agent he may have shot them with a different gun okay but that clearly that that one gun was not it so the proof wasn't really much of a proof at all so convicted two life sentences um his case become this big political cause and everything else. And the thing is, what end up happening with this is that the um, like on a regular basis, every time there's a um, president is about to leave office, there's the pressure, all the Peltier supporters Pardon are to him. get pardoned. There was a really interesting one involving Bill Clinton. Because in 2000, when Bill Clinton was about to leave office, he stated... I know lots of people care about this topic and it's an important one, so I will address it and I will give my opinion one way or another. I'll either pardon Peltier or I'll say why I don't before I leave office. So he goes on record to do it, which usually, you know, unless you're planning to do something about it, probably you don't start announcing it. But Today he just tweeted. Yeah, what happened was interesting because Clinton will leave office without saying a word. Not pardoning Peltier and not saying a word, pardoning a bunch of people who had donated millions of dollars to the Clinton Foundation, not really addressing the Peltier case. A good hint at why that happened is because some 300 FBI agents went and staged a demonstration outside of the White House protesting the possibility of a Clinton pardon. So clearly, you know, you're Bill Clinton and you're thinking, I'm going to get out of office and I can pardon this guy that will win me zero political capital. Yeah, I'm going to get like and piss the FBI off. 10 Indians on my side yeah. and I'll piss off the FBI. Maybe not. How about I don't instead? And um, Bush, of course, will not. Obama, of course, will not. None of those guys want to deal with it because it's too... Again, you don't want to get on the FBI bad side. Well, how old is this cat now? How well, he's old now. He's, he's like be... 70, something like that. Or so Over half his life in prison. Oh, yeah, much more. And... Um, so the whole thing, now, let's look at it again. This does not mean that I'm saying Peltier was innocent. Because the reality is nobody knows. I mean, what happened is the two FBI agents were killed by members of the American Indian movement. There's not even a discussion there. Clearly, there was somebody from the compound pulled the trigger and killed them. There's no way to prove it was Peltier. The trial was a joke in that sense. Um, but again, it's not to say that the American Indian movement had nothing to do with it. They did. But to me, the bigger question is not who killed the FBI agents. Is It goes back to the political contest. This is not an isolated shootout where these guys go out and kill two FBI agents for the hell of it or for any specific reason for that matter. This is... And there was no action for the guy who got killed on their side. Exactly. There's This is a civil war scenario in which the FBI is actively supporting one side. So surprise, surprise, they end up killing each other, of course. That's what has been going on before and after the shootout. So... 
to me is like it's part of a bigger issue it's like you cannot treat this as just a standard criminal case as if it was like anything else because this is literally a civil war context were there any rules according to being on tribal lands that had some sort of well not for not for murder of an fbi agent you know tribal land is yes for you know you have jurisdiction the guy who stole the guy who stole cowboy boots yeah that was a tribal police kind of thing uh which incidentally, that guy somehow they forget him afterwards. It was so important that you drive into the middle of an armed camp to chase him. That also makes you think. It's like, why did the FBI drive on that property? The way I see it, there are two possibilities. Because really, I mean, in the middle of an armed camp during a civil war scenario, you decide to fly in and case number one, you really don't know what you're doing. You know, you have no you're kind of handling it poorly and you screwed up. Case number two, you want to stir up shit to get some kind of a reaction that will justify a crackdown. Clearly did not expect that kind of a reaction. They did not expect it to go that far. But, you know, you are using these completely... Because, again, why would two FBI agents in a context where there are 60 unsolved murders decide to dedicate some time to some dude who's not an important player in anything it's like it's a tribal police matter proof being they will do nothing to him afterwards it's not even a big issue afterwards so why do you do it again highly likely that it was designed to try to get a reaction to instigate a crackdown so in that sense again the killing of the fbi agents is part of a bigger and larger story this does not mean that he was oh then it's a great idea to kill two fbi agents because he wasn't of course you know there's something but you can understand a little better. And again, I'm not even arguing that Peltier is innocent for sure, because what do I know? I don't know what actually pulled the trigger. Or somebody did. Somebody certainly did, and he was somebody from the American Indian movement. But what I am saying is the context shapes the event quite a bit. To me, the bigger question is why was the FBI supporting Dick Wilson? Why was the United States turning a blind eye to a dictatorial, murderous regime? There was there was even an interview with Dick Wilson after this case where they um, he tells journalists, you know, I'm not happy about what happened. We we have our own way of handling this. We'll get them. And the journalist asks him, what do you mean? You mean like shooting on the reservation? And Dick Wilson grins and goes, you said it, not me. <laughs> you know. What was the resolution overall? These guys, they all scattered off to Canada and it was done? Anybody else? or Well, eventually what happens is uh, the civil war on Pine Ridge will continue. Eventually Wilson will get out of office, will die a few years later. The American Indian movement will kind of collapse in the year to come, largely due to FBI pressure. And that's sort of the, the end of the tale right there. But Peltier, in the meantime, has been in prison since then. So, messy case, to say the least, because clearly this is uh, a political case. This does not mean, again, oh, Danny's frame 100, what the hell do I know? But it, it does mean, obviously, politics played a role. Because, you know, in any case that you have, usually the police is supposed to be a neutral party, or in this case, the FBI, you know, they are just investigating and providing evidence. The problem is that you can't trust any evidence, considering that it comes from one of the injured parties. So that makes it even trickier. In any, no, the, I could go on forever on this tale because there's a lot of it, but to make it quick, that's the 
one of the big famous political cases in modern U.S. history. Well, it's funny. There's a new book out, Killers of the Moonflower, or the Flower Moon, I think, and it's uh, about the FBI's first case, and it was actually defending Native Americans after guys, I think they're trying to steal their oil rights. Oh, yeah, in yeah. Because I, actually, you know, funny you mention it, because I do want to bring it up for a future story time, but I have to study because I don't know that case so well. Yeah, yeah. So I, there is a brand new book, and yeah. they're going to make a movie about it too. But it's interesting that the FBI's kind of first gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now here they are. Well, they picked a side with that as well. Yeah, of course, because this was a civil war, right? It was American Indian against American Indian, in which the FBI decided. Oh, and by the way, sorry, because this is. I need to leave you with this because yes. it's too good. Within, I forget if it was the same day or two days later or something, where suddenly there's all this attention on the FBI shootout and what happened on Pine Ridge. There had been this proposal on the table to give, uh, to sell to the United States a good chunk of Pine Ridge Reservation where the uranium deposits were. And uh, there was such opposition that Wilson was never able to push this through, Right. Sure enough, he's able to push it through when everybody's eyes are on the death of the FBI agents, and suddenly the uranium deal goes right through at the same time. Quietly get some signatures while everybody's looking the other direction. How did that work out? I did not see that coming. Well, oddly enough, this will be two, three weeks ago to people now, but they slid past the Dodd-Frank destruction bill while the Comey uh, craziness was going on in the Senate. Some things never change. You you put on a big show for people to look. It's kind of like classic uh, magician tricks, yeah. right? You call attention to one thing while you're able to do what you really want to do with the other end. You know, that's how the game works. Look, a particle of the game solved right there, everybody. There's one jigsaw puzzle. So, I'm sure the question I want to ask will come to me somewhere on the 118 on my way home. Oh, you had the... But, I was watching... Oh, this is the digital mailbag, but it's not a mailbag. It's the digital question festival. Yeah, so we're going to ask our own questions. Because we had, uh, for a rare occasion, where we didn't get an email with questions. So, here we go. We just do our own thing today. So, I... um. I'm watching the television last night, mm-hmm. and there's a commercial for the Army. Mm-hmm. And you know how all through time, when they got a new tank or a new toy, it's join the Army in. Yeah. You can, this, it's a kid pulls out a tiny little helicopter drone about the size of a parakeet, mm-hmm. whisks it off, and with his controller, he's looking over the hill to see what's there. And just the thought of... From a hundred years earlier, when we just start the idea of let's just open a cask of gas and just melt their lungs over there, to the point where we are now, where we have little robots that are flying ahead and doing all of our reconnaissance and yep. you know drones flying everywhere. Do you have a concern about AI Terminator? You know, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think Terminator will look at back as a documentary. It's uh, there yeah. was somebody saying that right now that the the neural networks that are being created are building each other yep. already. Yeah, that's a little. What could possibly worrisome. go wrong with that? No, it is. Uh, I mean, you ever? I'm sure you've heard it. There were quite a few interesting voices 
mentioning uh, Stephen Hawking was one of them. There were a few of those guys the were, really, were saying, too. yeah, it doesn't look good in terms of, you know, it's a process that we can't stop because if you don't do it, somebody else will. But at the same time, there is a process where artificial intelligence will become so smart to outsmart human beings and be able to perform at a much higher rate of human beings. Yep. So their argument is is not that unlikely of having AI keeping human beings in a cage as their funny monkeys while they are running the show. I don't because think I don't think they're going to be uh, compassionate enough or have enough sort of like oh the good old days when there's not going to be zoos for the machines they're not going to give a shit. Maybe look how cold we are just as humans as like corporate true. leaders. Who, but at the same time, there is the idea of you know if you are making machines that are able to they are supposed to function like a human being in terms of um, come up with questions and think critically and do all that, there may be also a entertainment aspect of the machine where it's kind of like... Well, if it's cruel. Let's yeah. keep... Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, no, it is freaky. It is that... Because, yeah, war is going in that direction. It's going in the direction of mechanizing the whole thing where it's really done with a remote control initially until you get rid of the remote control and it's the machine doing the war for you against the other machines. Until it gets bored with fighting the machines and, and you know what? Exactly. All it takes is one quick hack and the uh, Terminator is on the way. It really is kind of chilling. Yeah. No, it is. And it's... as fast as we've adopted these phones, I mean, when you think 10 years ago... Mm-hmm. You had your little shitty phone because yep. it replaced the, the... No, technology is moving at crazy speed. Crazy speed. There's no argument. And some of it can be good, right? Because there are some things Some of it can be convenient. That, yeah. But, of course, there are other aspects that are not good at all. And so it's, um, it's the classic race there in which way is it going to go. And because, of course, it's going in both directions at the same time now. But will one prevail dramatically at some point and overshadow the other side? Because, yes, having Terminators who kind of spoiled my having my iPhone, that would not quite be on the same plane. You know, it's like, hey, but at least we got... Yeah, I, I, know, I saw at the movie theater the other night, they're selling people to watch films on their phones. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's another new thing, is they're doing clean versions of films huh? so that more family friendly so they'll take like classics i mean what the godfather would be like nine minutes if they yeah it totally all but you know even just not that rough affair they're stripping down and making like separate simpler kinder not so dirty versions wow. of a lot of movies wow i hear it's just a dvd extra but how far is it a jump to when you're getting separate versions of everything weird well they already like like the the Fast and Furious movies or this Triple X movie, you know, those big time mm-hmm. multi, if there's like an Indian kid and a, and, a, and a Chinese lady in it, you can be sure that there's three or four extra scenes for those characters when those are sent to India and of course. China now. Of course, of course. So there's so many versions. To personalize the whole experience, in a, which on one way is cool, on the other way is creating an echo chamber like... Which again is is that the machines? You know, yeah. I, I've I sort of adopted the notion that I think the machines are trying to see how fast they can make the people go. So you have uh, the Terminator apocalypse, the um, global warming, uh, asteroids, uh, you name it. There's like 
about 72 different thousand ways for the war to go up in flames. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good times. I'm glad we had this discussion. That's, I guess they're always there. Yeah, no, there are, of course. And in fact, there are... It's interesting now what you bring up about the um, artificial intelligence stuff because it is clearly an issue of our success. You know, the success of technology is also creating some serious problems of technology. Uh, rarely things are ever completely black and white, and that's yet another example reminding us of that. Well, they tell you quite bluntly in the terrible new Alien movie at the very beginning, because that's always had an android causing mm -hmm. trouble, that the creator, the man who built the machine is a machine on his hands that now knows that it is superior to its creator. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. So I wonder if that's how God felt when everything went out of control down here. Right. Yeah, that's... Uh, no, but it is a seriously scary thought. The, that idea, because... Ah, but at least I hope all Terminators look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and they say, I'll be back. That would be kind of funny. <laughs> I just before they shoot I you. just hope the air conditioners work till the end. Well, speaking of, speaking of the apocalypse... Um, I went and, and and scattered the ashes of my grandparents yesterday. Uh -huh. And, you know, it's a pretty chilling thing. I mean, their three kids were there, uh -huh. and, and my sister and I were there. And it's just like, wow, there's a whole generation just gone. Yep. And look how short the line is. <laughs> right. It's like, hey, why am I at the head of the line now? This I'm doing not... all the carrying now. Yeah, Wait a yeah, minute. Yeah. What does that mean? This you can is... go to your... Uh, Produce Zen flesh, Zen bones, and read that one, and be like, "Way yikes!" Right? This can't be good. Grandfather die, yeah. father die, son die. Yeah, and that's the good scenario. And that's the good scenario. Yeah. Um, so in that moment, there was a good bit of reflection going on afterwards. Definitely, you know, a lot of quiet introspection. I'm sure. And uh, like a crazy person, at one point, my mother mentions. Well, you guys are such good kids. And I remember back when you lived in upstate New York, we would just open the door after breakfast and you guys would be gone all summer long and back by dark. And you guys never caused any trouble at all. At which point my sister and I started rapid fire, like all the bad shit that had gone down. Of course. Well, there was that time we fell in that well. Oh, you remember when your shoe got stuck in the creek and we had took two out? Just confessions of, of crimes that yeah. we had gotten away with. It was, it was. Why did you spoil it? For I don't know. <laughs> poor, she was shocked. I had no idea. For the poor woman. We were just having a good time. Uh, that works. We didn't know any better. We were little. Yeah. And it was amazing. I mean, we, it felt like we were a thousand miles away. Right. We were probably like, you know, it was country roads backing up to the, to the, um. Yeah, but that's the good pioneer model, right? We'll have about seven or eight kids. So after a couple fall in a well yeah. and one, uh, we still have four or five. We're good. We managed not to lose anybody. Yeah. Well, that's... I did get my... my, my, my look, at the scar's still there. Got my thumb cut open one time. What from? A knife. Oh, hell yeah. That goes... It's part it's of a good learning. Le a very important lesson. Yeah. Part of learning. Knives are sharp. But, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. It was just the floodgates of, well, you know... Yeah. <laughs> she'll probably never sleep again. Of course. Like, what, what happened? happened? Yeah. <laughs> Funny. I think the one... In, in those sort of moments... I was like, yeah, I remember the worst trouble I ever got into in my mind uh -huh. was the day I told Carla Dorenzo's mama to shut up while we were in the little kiddie pool. I was probably first grade. Yeah, that would. And my mom came out, shoot, like a shot. I don't know. must have been Mama ESP because there were no cell phones back then. And just maybe she just knew there was trouble. She got you. And I thought that was like probably one of the worst crimes I had ever committed. She had no memory of it. Of, really? Yeah. That's funny. 
so either I was in trouble that much that to remember, yeah, or that what was a non-incident to them it was huge in your experience. Of course, I've told anybody to shut up since. I've been afraid. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. There you go. There's a couple of stories for you. Yeah, good ones. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast and our uh, subdivide and conquer episode. Indeed. Solving nothing again. What are you talking about? I think we solve everything every time. I wish. Well, let's solve giving thanks to some good folks who have donated. That's an excellent idea. We are heavily pre-recorded here, so many of you guys... Okay, let me rephrase that. Some of you guys may have donated between now and then, and your name is not going to show up for another month or two or something. But there ought to be an episode in August where there's such a long list that it'll be like 19 extra minutes. Yes, for sure. I have name no doubt. Name after name, twisted and destroyed. Well, right now we have uh, one, two, three, four, five sweet folks. Uh, well, to be fair, we have just recorded the previous episode a week ago so that's not so bad let the pottery begin we have Maurizio Mezzatesta Jonathan Waterloo Stephen McKee Alexander Kuzner and Aaron McLaughlin every single one of them on a repeat donation you guys are so sweet much appreciated thank you thank you guys a couple extra ones fresh off the teletype here uh, additional names that have come in just in time to make it on the, this episode Dwayne Hales Adam Elsowitz, Jonathan Foe, and Jonathan, it was it was your last donation that got us to you know stop the presses and actually pull this one down so we could include you because uh, Jonathan's asked us to make this in the name of his friend Nat Davis who, who recently passed away. Um, IT genius, a poet, musician, and wise loyal friend Nat was to Jonathan, and you know of course we'd be happy enough to do that for your friend. So there we have it. That's the collection for this episode. Feel free to get your name mentioned. Uh, send us a little donation to help everything out. And we'd certainly appreciate it. Please go check out all the uh, links in the episode notes for Datsusara, Onnit, and Shore Design, our regular sponsors. They have been with us forever. They are really sweet to us. So it helps if you guys can um, buy through our links. And, uh, or if nothing else, you know, don't buy if it's not useful to your life, but check it out. Give it at least a shot to see if... So far, I still have not heard one person telling me, oh, I bought things from them and I'm so dissatisfied. You led me astray. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so that makes it easy to support them because they are good to their customers. They are good to us. Good people to hang out with. The, what else do we need to say? Of course, the couple of shout-outs I mentioned, Mama Licha's Kitchen. Check out their Facebook page. I'll put the link in the episode notes and please give them a like. They don't ask for a whole lot. Or if you are in LA, go check out the restaurant for good Mexican food. Um, Alpha Dynamics Health. Uh, they make medicinal mushrooms. They sponsor Savannah, which is always something that will get you close to my heart right there. So thank you very, very much. By the time this is released, I would probably will have received my packages of the mushroom they send and I will have tested them, but it hasn't happened by the time we record. So I will give a full review probably by the end of the summer. 
Uh, but yeah, check those guys out too. Of course, uh, our t-shirts, if you are in the market for buying them, that's always sweet. Please use in our Amazon link. We always appreciate that. Incidentally, you know, we were talking about the Leonard Peltier story. There's a great thick, I must say, but a great thick book called In the Spirit of Crazy Horse by Peter Mathieson. So if you want to check that out through our Amazon link or anything else for that matter. Um, what else? What else? Uh, thank you to Daisy House for the music. Kiva. Just keeps on exploding. That's always good. I think that's it, right? Yeah. Hope everybody's having a nice summer. I really hope so. You guys have a beautiful day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about. translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one. Exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.